I'm I'm feeling feisty today, y'all. <laughs> well, that's a good way to start. What are we talking about, Joel? We're gonna talk about metaphor. Is okay, it possible we... that I have no idea whether or not I use metaphors in life at all? I it know is... I use analogies. It is possible. Okay, we're gonna re- we're gonna do this little exercise again. So for your for those of you listening, we just did this, but we didn't record, and we should have recorded. And I I I drew uh I drew a thing on a white post-it note, and I'm holding it up so that Trace and Tina can see it. And I'm asking, what is this? It's the letter A. Yes. And it is two or three lines, depending on when you picked up your pen. Black lines on a white piece of paper. Yes. And like two stilts that are like connected by like a third stilt in the middle. Yes. And it's a A-frame house. And you just haven't depicted the woods and the lake that it's near. Yep. And it's the tip of a pencil. It's the tip of the pencil and it's a mountaintop and it's a house and it's all these things, right? Like the shape itself has no intrinsic innate meaning. It's completely arbitrary. But the fact that we associate a sound like ah to this completely arbitrary symbol that has no innate meaning is a metaphoric act right? Tina, you were saying like, life is a journey is, uh, or is like a journey. Uh, no, life is a journey is a metaphor, right? Yep. Now I'm getting confused. Yep. Life, life, is, a, journey. Yeah, life is a journey is a metaphor. What was the analogy example you used? I don't know that I did, but I feel like I literally use analogies to describe what feels like everything all the time if it's right. not something that's like commonly understood yeah like um, looking for this particular thing is like looking for a needle in a haystack like that's yeah. a common analogy right yeah or all sorts of like i can't tell you how often i use this is a marathon not a sprint this is a marathon not a sprint metaphor and analogy Really? I think it's a metaphor. Oh. How I understand metaphor is you're directly saying something is something else. So life yep. is a journey. Yep. Life is a play. Um, and an analogy is taking something and then describing a whole nother situation or scenario or a whole other thing that then is trying to show the similarities in the two things to help you understand the first situation in terms of the second one. Right. Uh, Now metaphor is saying the, the one object is another object. Yeah. Is that's how I understand it. So explain to me the sprint marathon one. Cause like for me, like if I'm thinking about cleaning out my garage, this is front of mine. Cause we're, there's an extra garbage pickup day tomorrow. I'm thinking about it over a long course of time of trying to get the whole project accomplished. So what I'm doing today is the equivalent of crossing mile marker one of a 26.2 mile marathon. Right. As opposed to like a sprint would be a garbage dumpster is showing up in your driveway tomorrow and it's going to be picked up at 6 p.m. and the entire thing has to be in it. 
Well, whether it's a sprint or a marathon, they're both, those are both metaphors. Yeah. Cause you're saying that this activity, the, the tempo, the pace, and again, I'm using more metaphors to explain the metaphor, <laughs> right? The rhythm at which I conduct and implement various behaviors and movements of self in relation to the environment around me is like this. It is this, it's a marathon or it's a sprint or it's not what, what, you know, whatever, you know, you could even call it like this thing is a taco because it has these components. And so you're, you're taking your mental model or your understanding of a particular thing and using that as a reference or a framework to hang the meaning of another thing on, right? Like we t- you said, uh, you use the term metaphorical smackdown, <laughs> right? Like the, we have a concept of what a metaphor is. We also have a concept of what a smackdown is and that we can marry the fact that we can marry those things together and create some emergent meaning out of this juxtaposition is a metaphorical act. Right. And so like my, my, my enthusiasm around this topic is that we are metaphoric beings innately, right? If you speak a language that is fundamentally a metaphoric act, because you're ascribing a pattern of sounds to an arbitrary pattern of symbols that were completely made up. They don't exist naturally in the universe, right? And so that ascription and that combination of sounds and symbols is metaphoric innately. It's, it's semiotics, if you get real philosophical about it, right? Semiotics just being the ascription of meaning to symbols. And so we, we actually can't live life or make meaning of experience outside of metaphor. In that sense, like I can't go to a store and think about all of the things that you do along the way, right? You're looking at road signs. You are, um, you know that if you turn this object, it turns other objects. Those objects being the steering wheel and the tires. Right. So you're you're not turning the tires directly. You're turning the tires through a metaphorical ascription of meaning. Your your mind has the ability to construct a mental model that says, I know that if I do this, it has this effect. But you're not actually doing the thing. Right. You then pull into a parking lot and you the fact that we know what a parking space is, is a metaphorical thing. Right that we know how to walk towards an entrance that the, our understanding of an entrance is a metaphorical thing. Like I know metaphorically that passing through this threshold and this kind of shape, I'm ascribing shape and I'm ascribing symbols, whether it's glass or it's, you know, whatever it is, these material, I'm ascribing materiality to my understanding of a a construct and a model of what an entrance is. Right. But if you saw glass in another instance, the context determines the meaning of the thing, right? And then you go in and it's like, now there's fruit on a stand. Well, we all know that they didn't grow it in the store, right? So that you, you, there's all these innate meanings that we've ascribed to particular experiences and things that without metaphor aren't possible. Like, you, you know, the, uh, what's the guy, the character's name in Guardians of the Galaxy? Star-Lord? Great. No, 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 uh, the, uh, the big dude who doesn't wear a shirt. Oh, Drax. Drax. 
remember like Drax doesn't live in a world of metaphor, right? And the guy goes, <laughs> like, oh, just you know, it goes right over your head. And he goes, I'm too tall, nothing gets over my head, right? <laughs> like you when you can't process that thing, the world becomes so literal. And at some point, without metaphor or the ability to ascribe meaning in a phenomenological way through the container of metaphor we literally could not make sense of anything. We would have no capacity to make sense of the fact that this rectangular structure with glass in the middle is something called a door. Because we couldn't make the mental abductive leap from glass and rectangle to door. It's like, it's just so innate. But we never, we never think about metaphors like this. We think about metaphors as a linguistic tool, right? We think about it as something that's a quip but it's not something that is innate to our being in the way that we navigate the world around us, but it's so fundamental. And that's been my experience before we did this podcast, I was Googling what's the difference between a metaphor and an analogy. Well, and, and, and I was Googling like famous metaphors to get a feel. Cause I, I, I sort of had a feeling for what a metaphor was, but it, I totally thought of it in terms of just some linguistic tool that we use. And now as you broke it down for me, realizing that like metaphor is actually innate to being a being. It's actually innate to our inherent sense-making process of reality. There would be no uh, consensus reality without metaphor. Exactly. It's, just, it's amazing to to reflect on the, the aspects of experience that we don't, we think are like one, something out there that we do occasionally when actually it's like an inherent part of what it means to be a being and what it means to interact in reality. Yeah, it's a very cool moment to see the how fundamental something is. Yeah, like when I go to a store and I give the cashier cash, I'm essentially giving them an artifact, a metaphorical artifact, because the cash again innately is, is no value. We've just agreed that it represents value, right? <laughs> it's so you start to look for it and you start to see it in everything. Like it's everywhere. Our entire society is built on metaphor. What do you think about Tina? I'm thinking about how this relates to humans, emotional development mm -hmm. and things that we assume adults should know or ways in which we would expect them to behave or whatever that might be. And how much, like, I'm so curious now about the ages, like, the before and after of different acclimating to different metaphors, right? Because there's an age yep. that we were all at before we knew mm -hmm. what the alphabet was and what meaning it was ascribed and what noises to make or what words to say. And that's true with everything. There's a point in time um, that you crawl into a sliding glass door or you look at them, you crawl up to a mirror and you think it's another person when it's just you. Yep. You know, like all the, like there's a, there's a before and an after. Mm -hmm. Maybe it, it's not one moment in time, but like this is childhood development, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it actually, because we're so interested in emotional development and trauma and all these things like part of what this brings up for me is how how our meaning making 
when it gets interrupted at very young ages or stages, how that then like, I'm thinking of, <laughs> I'm thinking of like a windshield that has a little rock pop it when you're on the freeway. And then mm -hmm. a few days later, after a few weather changes, the whole thing has spidered into the entire mm -hmm. glass windshield. Mm -hmm. Like how various interruptions at developmental moments interrupts this ability to kind of like hold metaphor and hold these things that maybe the rest of society kind of assumes mm -hmm. others should know and understand, but they don't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, that's that's exactly right. I mean, metaphor is the foundation of all phenomenology, mm -hmm. right? Like our ability to ascribe meaning to experience is uh, commensurate with the our capacity for metaphor, mm -hmm. right? And I think that also, uh, you know, I love that you're bringing up childhood development. I would I would also say another another big arena of life in which this is critical is 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 cultural context so for example the raised fist in one culture represents something that is to be celebrated right it's it's something that is uh a symbol of solidarity right and it's a symbol tied to generations and centuries of oppression in other cultures that symbol is rebellion and it is not respectable and it's something that should be penalized should you do that in a public way right and so the metaphors that are contextual to our particular culture that we use to make sense of reality often shape not only our reality, but our morality, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? And what we determine as right and wrong or what's good and bad. This is why I think you see a lot of debates over symbols that again, have no innate intrinsic meaning objectively on their own, mm -hmm. but through centuries of history have come to accumulate and aggregate a certain level of meaning, a certain, because the, 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 they presuppose certain metaphorical constructs of social organizing and human relations and morality and, right? Mm -hmm. This is why there's a, the debate around the Confederate flag. This is why there's the debate around the raised fist or taking a knee at a football game, right? Because you have people coming from culturally different metaphorical backgrounds, making sense of the same phenomenon, but coming to different conclusions, or both looking at the same symbol and coming to different conclusions as to what it means and what it represents. I think the taking the knee is a fantastic example, because even within our own country, the United States, uh, like taking a knee during a football game was seen as a massive sign of disrespect to a lot of people. And a lot of people yeah. took it that way, but then taking the knee in other contexts is all like kneeling down is like a sign of respect for whatever you're taking the knee yep. to, you know, people do it's people kneel down in religious uh, contexts and that's a sign of respect. So like just this one act of kneeling 
in one context was seen as like so disrespectful and sacrilegious and then other contexts it's seen as like a sign of respect um it just speaks to like how um one action in totally different context like it has completely different meanings and it's all about our own meaning making that we give it that's right and so to you could say to to like extend the, the language of metaphor you could say that all bias is is myopic and insufficient metaphor mm. in sense of a phenomenon that you don't understand mm. it's crazy yeah it's kind of like we have mental shorthand around right. a lot of things that's a great and... phrase thank you yeah mental shorthand i love that that looks like a delicious glass of wine it is what are you drinking joel Oh, this is a GSM from the Languedoc region of France, which is southern area down near uh, Provence. Uh, this is a, uh, so GSM typically stands for Grenache, Syrah, Morved. Um, this, though, is not a pure GSM in that it also has Carignan and Sin Salt in it. Uh, but it's uh, ripe. Uh, fruit forward, earthy, juicy, uh, a bit bigger. It's like great barbecue wine, mm. I think. Um, but also goes well with more uh, uh, richly flavored, spicy stuff. Like uh, whether it's, you know, like a, a peppered steak or it's roast lamb with olives or it's you know, barbecue chicken or something like that. Talk to me about wine as metaphor. Ooh. That's a great question or provocation. I would say that um, there's a lot of metaphor tied to wine in fact much of western civilization uh and culture in terms of epicurean food cultures has been built on you know the metaphor of food and wine or metaphors tied to food and wine so for example uh in you know the kind of the uh um, the predominant um christian you know anglo uh understanding of god and religion you know the most famous is this is my blood right uh and, and jesus saying you know drink this in remembrance of me you know for those of you who grew up in any sort of uh religious christian religious context whether it's you know catholic or protestant or otherwise um you've probably heard those words right or uh, the story also where Jesus turns water into wine, right? And there's this, even in a story that was written 2,000 years ago, uh, whether it was, you know, proverbial or whether it was literal is kind of irregardless because the meaning there is that good wine is reserved for certain things. Right. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is we're metaphorically ascribing a 
quality of experience or a level of impression that is attempting to be made to a particular quality of wine, mm -hmm. right? This equates to that. This is that. That's still true today. I mean, I think that we metaphorically ascribe a certain understanding and construct of luxury to particular bottles of wine from particular regions produced by particular producers. And most of, after a certain price point, what that really boils down to is scarcity, not quality. After a certain, yeah, I would say maybe 150 bucks to 250 bucks, you get past that point, the wine doesn't really get better. It just gets harder to find, <laughs> right? I think that's kind of what happens in that in that world. But um, you also could say that wine is a metaphor for joy and community and the relaxing of inhibitions and the ability to connect with other people through the loosening of those inhibitions, right? At a more human, less guarded, less masked way, right? You could also metaphorically say that wine is a time capsule, that it, it as a vintage and as an agricultural product captures a particular season in a particular place very specifically right from the sun patterns to the to the rain patterns to the kind of soil to the way it was farmed to whether or not there is a particular uh you know mineral to the context in which it was grown, whether there were, you know, lavender fields nearby or, uh, you know, cider apple orchards nearby or olive groves nearby, right? Or uh, rosemary, right? And herb farms, like all of these things contextually are a part of what make this bottle a time capsule, but not just a time capsule, but a geographically tethered one, right? And so you could say that in opening this bottle, I'm traveling back to whether it's 2020 or, you know, I recently opened a 1988 Rioja from Spain. And it's amazing to think that this thing that I'm consuming right now with my senses was made in this time. And you can go back and look at the weather of that time. You're like, what, you know, how hot was it? How much rainfall did they have that year? Right. And so, it is a representational reality of that moment in time, this bottle of wine. So yeah, you, you can go on for days <laughs> about like, yeah, I think food and wine is ripe for metaphor, right? And because there's so much, because it's so, because food is so innate to human experience that it's, it's literally fundamental to our survival. Mm -hmm. It has been around the longest in our magical thinking right? As an object of our magical thinking and our description of experience in the way that we relate to it in the context of community, whether it's tribal or otherwise. Uh, so yeah, there's a really rich history of meaning and metaphor ascribed to the consumption of wine. Um, I mean, for me, one of the biggest metaphors that I ascribe to wine is relaxation. Mm. Right. Wine is relaxation. It's not intrinsically or objectively. 
but the meaning that I ascribe to it based on my particular context and cultural background and my intersectionality and my socioeconomic standing and the community that I find myself in and you know, all of those things accumulatively lead to this construct that contextually provides this meaning that I ascribe to the experience. Mm. It's amazing to me that things like wine become whole portals into mm -hmm. other people's human experience, interconnectedness <clears throat> like the more you learn about wine and terroir and all the factors that affect it the more you want to travel the world and experience where other wine is made like it's just and there are endless to whomever's listening there are endless numbers of things that are these portals mm -hmm. uh i've told you joel Yes, it's been a little while now. I haven't given you an update, but I think I just baked loaf number eight of sourdough. Ooh, nice. And it's gotten to the point, it's so interesting because I would still consider it a very, very new endeavor, of course. I'm like, holy shit, this is the, I think this is the best bread I've ever tasted or like up there. Mm -hmm. And um, it's so interesting what, what, what just a few months ago was an overwhelming learning curve. Uh, of all the like pieces and the ways because nobody else can tell you exactly like they're giving pointers they're using metaphor and like the first loaf I totally underproofed because they said something on a poke test and I took poke way too literally and I like <laughs> poked yeah. hard yeah <laughs> now I've just thrown the poke test away the jiggle test does much better for me yeah um and there's an eyeball test, but it's like, you actually have to get in and, and do it and learn. And I think the best, some of the best, I mean, everything is metaphor, as you say, but some of the best experiences in life are that which we can't explain to each other. Mm -hmm. Like you just had a retreat experience. We will never really know what you experienced. So there might be a takeaway right. here and there that you end up sharing with us. Right. Might be able to relate to it in some way, shape or form to some other experience that I have had, but I will never know what you actually experienced. And I'll, uh, even if you were there. Right. I can never know your experience. Right. I can only take these windows and I think mm -hmm. metaphor and analogy give us windows into if we have the desire mm -hmm. into understanding like just that little bit more and that little bit more about other people's human experience. Yeah, I think that's that's spot on. There's this quote, I'm completely blanking on who said it, and this is my paraphrase, but metaphors allow us to speak truer truths mm. right like it allows us to make a connection because we can create this web of meaning tied to experiences and places and people and things that again create this context that holds the thing that we're ascribing meaning to uh 
the meaning itself can become much bigger, right? Because it can expand beyond that moment in time and connect to all these other things that you carry with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would be remiss if I also didn't bring up tasting notes with wine, mm-hmm. right? And this is part of that that web and that network of things and experiences and places and people and that shape the way that you taste wine, right? And there is, I, I do believe, you know, the, the objective subjective debate in wine goes back as long as people have probably been drinking wine. And I do believe there is objectively good wine and objectively bad wine. And I do believe you can objectively ascribe tasting notes and you can say this tastes like raspberry or blackberry or cherry or whatever. But some of the best tasting notes I've ever heard or even come up with myself have been metaphors. Mm -hmm. They're not actual literal things, right? So for example, um, freshly cut grass. Freshly cut grass. That's a common one for Sauvignon Blancs, especially Australian Sauvignon Blancs. Uh, But last summer I had this white wine. I don't remember what it was, but I remember the at the restaurant, the sommelier, he's pouring it and he says, yeah, at at the finish, there's this little bit of river water. And I was like, river water? Like, oh, I've never heard that one before. And sure enough, I taste it. And it's not like it tasted like river water, but the the texture and like the way that the stone came through, the minerality of the wine and the dryness and like all these things in the, the, the pH. So the, the pH often determines astringency in wine. And so uh, high pH often uh, or, you know, low pH is, 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 is higher astringency. And so high pH is low astringency, which means you get this more of a round uh, type of uh, body of the wine on your palate. And all of these things together created river water. Like it was amazing. Like it just, and again, it wasn't like literal tasting mineral, like river water, but the, the, that a metaphor, that ascription of meaning to this experience actually made tons of sense. And you're like, oh yeah, it actually unlocked part of the experience. And it's as if he, if he had not said river water, my experience of the thing itself would have been more narrow and constrained to the network of, of context that I could leverage to ascribe meaning to the wine as a metaphor, right? So I think there's, there's like really, that's another thing that's so fun for me about wine is the ability to let your mind go there in that kind of abstract, abductive way to tap into that creative capacity and reach deep into your experiences and your knowledge of the world around you to make sense of this thing, right? Yeah, that's one of the coolest things about metaphors is that they create an emergence through bringing multiple things together. It's like they create an emergence through finding the commonalities and similarities between things. It's like through finding the unification of all of these separate things, you bring it together in a metaphor and it actually creates the emergence of something new, which is like a new understanding, a new clarity about what you're trying to point to. When Tina said metaphorical smackdown, uh, metaphors and smackdowns are not two things we usually think of together. They're two kind of seemingly disparate things and aspects of experience 
And by putting those together, it actually created the emergence of a understanding and clarity about what Tina was referring to. And it almost metaphors feel like they actually bring a simplicity through complexity. There's a complexity of all these different things. And through bringing them together, mm. it actually brings a simplicity and like a yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mental shorthand mental shorthand yes there it is. Uh, so i i love <laughs> i love seeing the ways that i love seeing that um that process demonstrated by metaphors of bringing the emergence of a simplicity and a clarity through the commonality of uh the complexity that we experience and the things that we know yeah yeah totally i i love that what you're what you're making me think of trace is this this quote from johan wolfgang Goth. I don't know how to pronounce that. How do you say that? Is it Goth or Goethe? I've heard people say it different ways. I'll go with Goth. Johann Wolfgang Goth. He said, man knows himself only to the extent that he knows the world. He becomes aware of himself only within the world and aware of the world only within himself. Every object well contemplated opens us, opens up a new organ of perception within us. Mm. Right. I feel like that's what you're kind of getting at, right? Like this relationship yeah. between the parts and the whole and the way that we make sense of things and the simplicity that emerges, like the more parts you're able to collect, the bigger the whole gets, right? And the, the, the thing becomes less fractal and more complete. Something that's coming up for me right now around this, it's a lot of fun. So, you know, Trace and I have almost two decades between us. And so a lot of times my shorthand to him doesn't like a lot of times it doesn't have a place to land because mm. there's cultural reference behind <laughs> right. it yeah that isn't currently wasn't relevant in his childhood or whatever right. right right and so i found myself much more aware since being in relationship with trace of not just assuming that people understand what you're saying and actually checking for like is this metaphor landing Mm-hmm. And it's actually been at first, it could seem like, oh, this is like, you're not giving the person enough credit, right? You could look at it like from a scarcity perspective, but it actually feels very abundant in the awareness category to me, because these conversations are some of the most interesting, especially when I can't explain something then. Mm-hmm. Like I, I said to Trace last night. I think tonight's the last night of the cold snap. <laughs> and he's like, cold snap? What are you even talking about? And I'm like, that's a great question. I don't really know what I'm talking about. I, I think it's always been referred to as just kind of like a handful of days where it's just like abnormally cold and then it ends. And <laughs> Trace is like putting ice between his fingers, trying to snap. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like cold snap. I'm like, cold snap. Like, How do I do this? Like, <laughs> your cold spot. I take it so literally. Yeah. <laughs> But it's fun. It's actually really fun and playful to be able to. I think there's something that can happen to us, especially when, and I think this is one of the reasons why little kids are such a wonderful addition to people's experience, whether you're the parents or whether you just get to experience the kids in another way. Like they're the ones who are always saying, What's that? Like, what do you mean by that? And they're slowing you down. Yep. From all the re- mm-hmm. like shorthand that I think can almost become if you're only around other people who are similarly aged and similarly educated and similarly enculturated, whatever those things are, the shorthand can become kind of like an echo chamber that lacks emergence. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 That's right. Totally. 
And that's what happens to insular cultural communities that then often find themselves facing the world in a posture of fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. Because somehow in that ability to live unquestioned and to just get more and more shorthand and more and more like reflected back to you of things you already know, it actually like one might think or the protectors in within oneself might move in that direction thinking, oh, well, I'll have less anxiety. I'll be calmer. I'll, I won't have like, and in other words, I think there's an aspect of the human mind that thinks if it could control and predict and simplify life, mm-hmm. then the overwhelmingness would go away. And the overwhelmingness is what leads to anxiety or this or that or the other thing. But actually, paradoxically, of course, because everything is most things, um, it's actually kind of the exact opposite. Like the more often we're put in situations where we actually are asked to stretch, we're asked to slow down, we're asked to think through something, bring more awareness, that tends to be the thing that actually like brings more calm, brings more groundedness, brings more expansion to our beings and brings like a more fulfilled sense of a full life. Mm. Are you saying, Tina, that there might be a possible correlation between the quality of our lives and the fulfillment of life and the quantity and quality of our metaphors? Mm. Yeah, and our willingness to hold all of those things loosely, going full back to your initial exercise you gave to us of what we'll just for shorthand call a capital letter letter A on a white piece of paper. Um, our willingness to push ourselves to be pushed and invited by others, um, to be curious, to not insist that the only thing that that could be is a letter A, to be creative, to be open, to be interested. There's actually like some sort of magic in that. You both just dropped a metaphorical smackdown. <laughs> 